Good afternoon. I'm your host, Jimmy Kim, and you are watching the greatest show on the planet, The Jimmy Kim Show. To the audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a very exciting episode today. It's actually my first spiritual leader that I'm actually interviewing for the show. And he is the founder, uh, president, and executive director of the U.S. Pastor Council. And he's going to tell us all about what that organization does and all the thing, great things that they're doing in the community presently and that they've done in the past as well. Dave, go ahead. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's great to be with you. And uh, I'm Dave Welch. I'm the founder and president of the U.S. Pastor Council. We started here in Houston with the Houston Area Pastor Council in 2003 and have grown to add the Texas Pastor Council as well as now multiple cities around Texas. So uh, it's a joy to be with you. Our mission is to restore citizenship as a functioning ministry of every local church that we add that back to the functional ministries that we engage in in the community. So we've been doing that now for 18 years, and we've uh, taken on a lot of different issues. As a team of pastors, we are one of the few, in fact, about the only multiracial, uh, multi-denominational coalition of pastors in the country in a major city. Oh, wow. And that's been our mission all the way along, to bring the whole church together. Every color, every corner is the, the term we use. So that's our, our perspective and our mission, to bring that voice together collectively, to bring our, our biblical values to the front lines of what's happening in the city, the state, and the nation. Well, yeah, I really like hearing about unity and bringing people together, because sometimes what I see a lot out there right now is people that are divided, whether it's because of uh, political affiliations or religious affiliation. And it, well, and it disheartens me. It it's is. It's a sad thing yeah. to see. It is, and especially in the church, and I think that's where, you know, when we go back to especially the, the Christian faith, uh, you know, the, the scriptures and the Bible uh, have to be our anchor, our foundation, and what we're given to do, and it's our truth. Uh, we are charged by our, our founder, Jesus Christ, the beginnings, and his, his prayer uh, just before he went to the cross, said, pray to the Father, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. And that oneness is who we are supposed to be. And unfortunately, too often, we don't reflect that to the world and the community. So that's been part of our mission in this part of, of the world uh, and uh, that functions of the church to bring more unity together, at least, into how we're speaking out into the community on things in, in range from public policy to cultural issues uh, to things like even you know emergency and disaster relief. Okay, so pretty much anything that the community as a whole is dealing with. It sounds like y'all try to cover that, which is quite we a bit, <laughs> especially well, right now. It is. It's a broad perspective. But our, our singular focus that's kind of unique, that's different than most other uh, pastoral associations or things of that nature, uh, is this role of citizenship. We call it the forgotten ministry. Uh, how the term, well, we don't get involved in politics. Uh, I've heard it coming up from so many pastors and churches over the years. I've heard the same thing, Dave. Right. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we, we've adopted the, the false narrative uh, that allows that to happen and because it's not about politics. Uh, it's about governing, and governing is, is different. Everybody hates politics. I do, too. That's where people you know, fight with each other. We get involved in our corners. We get you know, self-focused, and uh, we get sometimes corrupt, and the, the whole nature of that ugly side of it. But nobody stops and asks the question, uh, why is politics so ugly? Why can it get so ugly? Because it's a battle for power. Okay? Governing is, is authority. And that's when we back it up to, from the church's standpoint to realize what it really is. 
and, and it's ministry because God calls it ministry. In Romans 13 uh, is one of those foundational passages that we know in the New Testament uh, when Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, you know, be it subjected to those in governing authority. And then he goes on in those first seven verses in particular to describe what governing is. And it's actually, he says, it's a minister of God for your good. That's kind of a shock, isn't it? Whoever knows things of government is, is, your, is for your good. Right. But, That's what they tell you. <laughs> right. right. Kind of like Ronald Reagan said once, I'm, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Right. right. That's how they <laughs> trick you. Yeah. That's kind of scary. Got to be careful. That's the first thing that scares you, right? Right, right. But the reality is that God ordained governing authority from the very beginning, and this goes back to even to Genesis, to say this is, first of all, it's because we have wickedness in our hearts. All, all of us are by our nature that way. That's why our, our belief is in our faith and what, what, what the Bible says. And so based on that, we act out accordingly. In fact, one of the first charges that God gave Noah when he came down off the ark after the flood, and the world gotten so evil and so corrupt that God just wiped it all out. But he, he restarted, essentially, and then he charged Noah. He said, when man sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed because he is made in the likeness of God. So in other words, the act of murder, intentional murder, takes the life of an individual. That individual was created in the image of God, so it's a highest offense. And therefore, this is the highest penalty. That's the basis of, the, of the, the death penalty and capital punishment. All the way forward throughout the scripture, but simply put, government is the exercise of authority. And in this country, we are blessed with a special sacred privilege that was restored, uh, and that is called self-government. Now, self-government was actually God's plan. When you go back to ancient Israel, the, the nature of government was self-government by the tribes. They had elders of the tribes. You had the prophets, the judges, but you, and you had the priesthood. But the, the governance of the affairs of the people were, were there by the, the tribal level itself. And so that was, it was God and the people directly through. And the prophets spoke uh, the word to the people through, uh, by God. And then when you look at Exodus and, the, and as the people came out of Egypt and became a nation, then God gave all these principles for them that they were required to live by. And, and part of this was... Uh, how do we treat one another? And when we mistreat, when we, we violate those things, there are consequences. And then, but then, of course, what happened in 1 Samuel 8 is when the people got tired of self-governing, apparently, and they said, we want a king, like everybody else. And God reminded Samuel, when Samuel brought, the prophet Samuel brought that to God, God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so they got a king. So from that point forward, all that authority to govern ourselves and to exercise those laws that the people had, they gave it away. So one person. Well, whenever, whenever power is centralized into one person, uh, it, not, bad things happen. <laughs> totalitarianism, <laughs> <Right>. dictatorship. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, from the, from the ages began, in, and, and in 1215 began the process of that restoration called the Magna Carta, where we began to challenge and say, no, King, you have limits too. And we had the articles in the Magna Carta. We walked forward through history until, of course, our own Declaration of Independence and this Constitution of the United States. And one of my favorite quotes in the founding era is from Samuel Adams, who was known as the father of the revolution. And he, when on the, upon the signing of the Declaration, he said, This day we have restored the sovereign, capital S, and from the rising to the setting of the sun may his kingdom come. 
So guess what? It's now back to God, people, government. And that's where the process was supposed to be in this country, is that we have a self-governing nation uh, exercising God's authority to protect the innocent, to punish the, the evildoer, and do it God's way. Well, the problem is, is the people become lazy, selfish, and corrupt. It's swapped with the, the government position, right? Because you said God, people, government. But it's, right. it's government above. Gov <laughs> that's, what it, that's what's happening. Government always that wants That overreach, more. yeah. <laughs> Especially over the last two years. Dave, I totally forgot. As we open up this interview, uh, can you give uh, everybody out there a positive prayer and for this interview to go great as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace especially as we have just celebrated that special time of year where we honor and celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world, Father, that brings peace and love and joy to all people. Lord, we need that desperately now, and we certainly need it in our nation. We pray for your wisdom, your grace, your patience with us, and, and that you will call this nation, call us as people, back to you, uh, to lay down ourselves, lay down our lives, uh, to seek your kingdom, your righteousness. And we pray for your, your blessing over this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, so that's for everybody out there in the audience. <laughs> All right, Dave, as we continue, can you tell us more about some of the other activities and leaderships uh, you've been involved in in the community as well? Well, th early on when we first started the ministry, we really started this to be a uh, like an educational networking relationship building process. Uh, we also we also turned it into an action force early on as well. Well, that's important. Yeah. And uh, we had a, a Bible display down at the uh, old Harris County Courthouse that had been there for uh, almost 60 years that was there to honor the founder of the Star of Hope Mission, which is, of course, one of our historic uh, respected homeless missions. But the man who founded it was a strong Christian, William Osher. And that Bible had been there, but it had all been vandalized and then restored a few years before this by uh, then civil court judge John Devine had raised private funding, put the Bible back in, restored the, this, uh, this display. Well, the ACLU stepped in and sued that this was a violation of the separation of church and state, of course, that whole nonsense. And so we stepped forward. We were about 1,000 people and pastors down to the courthouse and had a rally standing for religious freedom. And from that point forward, we have been engaged on many different issues uh, that are kind of centralized focused around f religious freedom, uh, God's design of family and marriage, uh, the, the nature of defense of life, and also just responsible government. Uh, so in 2010, for example, we had to take on the mayor of Houston uh, when she attempted to tax the churches and the schools through this drainage fee called the rain tax. And uh, this, this would have imposed a property tax on square footage of churches all over the city uh, wiped out churches it w is what the net result would have been. Uh, the small inner city urban churches that had property with no money. So we rallied, uh, packed out pastor or city meetings all over the city and forced the mayor to, to exempt the churches, saving the churches in the city millions of dollars a year. So, uh, then, of course, in the epic battle we're known for in 2014 when Maranese Parker put forth her horrific uh, LGBT hero ordinance, they called it, which would have criminalized Christian business owners, people of faith who believe that men are men, women are women, they should use their own restrooms, uh, and that type of thing. So that was a, a two-year battle, during which, of course, they, the mayor and her attorneys subpoenaed the sermons, and much more, actually, of some pastors in the city. I happen to be one of those who got the sermon subpoena. Hmm. And uh, we actually, over the course of that two years, and it got to get to back to the ballot where the people voted on, and the city of Houston, the people voted 
against that ordinance and to protect the, the, the safety of women and our girls. So there's been a lot of different things. We were very active at the legislature. We get pastors back there to uh, work on different issues of concern. Criminal justice reform has been a big one. So there's a lot of things like that. If it's evolving, affecting people, we should care about it. Right. Another thing is, we, we talked about this a, a few minutes before the interview. Let's Can you give me some of your insight in regards to voter turnout across, I mean, I know a lot of the things you do are local, but it's happening across the country and even probably the world mm -hmm. with the uh, just low voter turnout, low participation. And I know what you're trying to do is you're trying to completely reverse that. So can you tell us more about kind of what's going on? Sure, absolutely, Jimmy. That's an important point because, look, again, self-governing can only exist and be successful when the people participate. That's kind of a given. So the right to vote is not really a right to vote. It's a duty to vote. Because voting is an exercise of authority. It's assuming that I have the authority to, to punch a ballot and make a decision that yes. has an outcome. Well, that authority I have as a citizen, you have as a citizen, is given to us by our Constitution. The Constitution delineates that this is a government of we the people. Our authority that we get in the Constitution gives to us comes from God, according to our, our faith and belief. Jesus said in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, our faith and belief in, in the Bible, uh, that, that principle is confirmed repeatedly, including when Jesus was standing before Pilate, before the crucifixion, and Pilate said, don't you know I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no authority except that which has been given to you from heaven, which mm -hmm. is me. And so that principle of the exercise of authority revesting in the people, we transfer that authority to others to do God's work in the area of governing through elections, a vote. When we don't participate, we literally abdicate that authority that has lethal force, by the way, also. It can. Well, it does. It's, it, it has to come with lethal force, otherwise it's an illegitimate government. Oh, that's true. A government can't enforce its laws, kind of like the border, um, is an illegitimate government. Right. So since it carries force, we're making that decision every time we vote or don't vote. And I've got a little, basically a principle that I believe is absolutely true, that every citizen votes in every election. And there are four ways we, do, we exercise the vote. And the, the one is, and let's go back to Romans 13 real quickly. Uh, the, it also says, Paul also wrote, that the, God, the government is also a minister of wrath. So if you want to not be afraid of those in authority, do what is right, because it does not bear the sword for nothing. And you stop and think about that. What did he just say? He said that that governing authority, that guy with the sword, back then was a Roman soldier. Here, we don't carry swords anymore. Our officers carry guns. So the exercise of governing authority bears out ultimately in the use of the gun. So in that, but that gun is first put in the hands of the people in this country. We have that authority first. Yes. So every election, we're going to give that lethal authority in one of four ways. Number one, we say, I don't have time. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't care about this. So we file off the serial number, we wipe down the prints off the gun, we throw it in the street. We're not registered, we don't vote, we don't participate. Well, that gun doesn't go away just because we didn't show up. Somebody else is going to get that gun. Right. Every week we read tragic stories about a child who was accidentally shot by a sibling because some parent left a gun where it shouldn't have and they accessed and misused it. Uh, 
or we decide, you know what, I'm going to register my gun, but I'm still not going to show up. I'm still too busy. I don't show up. Voter turnout rates of registered voters versus eligible voters. Now, it's actually about a 20 to 30 percent gap here in Texas mostly. A lot of states are running about that 60 percent of registered voters versus eligible voters. But uh, everybody that's eligible to vote carries this duty. A lot of people are registered. They don't show up. The authority ends up in the wrong hands. Same story. Or we say, I'm going to register. I'm going to vote. I'm going to take my gun. I'm going to give it to somebody who I every election, right? So I'm going to transfer that lethal force to somebody. So I look around and say, well, who's going to take care of me? Who looks like me? Who sounds like me? Uh, who's got the best campaign ad? Who's going to promise me the best job? Whatever. Okay, pick the, pick the selfish reason we look at too often and vote that way. Well, how's that working? I would charge. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's not working so well. No, what we want is actually door number four, which is we. I, I say let's try this God's way, and and in uh, uh, for, in uh, excuse me in Exodus eighteen twenty one, when Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt, and they got to a point where they were bringing their grievances to Moses and. Uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, came to him one day and said, said, the lions were from morning until evening. And Jethro said, Moses, this isn't working. This is, this is not good for you or the people. So here's what you got to do. Choose from among the people able men who fear God, who love the truth, and who hate dishonest gain. Hey, they're capable, they're godly, they're unselfish, and they're honest. Wow. And we're going to give them Imagine authority. That, right? <laughs> so that's what we call the simple biblical standard. So, so if we actually just took the time in every election to look at the candidate and say, okay, who's the closest to that standard? Nobody's ever perfect. Who's the closest to that standard? And we're going to give them this authority, and we voted that way. Then guess what would our city look like? What would oh, our, what totally would our, different. What would our county the look whole like? Country. What would our state look like? The, the whole vision? country. The right. whole world. So that's our charge. Is that's, the, that's the basics. I really like that, that simple standard. I, I haven't heard that one. I'm surprised I haven't heard it, but, yeah, that's – like I said, we would be living in a different country if that were the case. So hopefully, like I said, I like to be realistic about what's going on. That's why we have these real conversations here. But at the same time, I'm a very positive person. So um, there are even this election cycle, there's a few candidates come up and coming that I think are going to do a lot of good things. Actually, I think the, one of the last times I saw you was at a political event as well. Mm-hmm. So We don't have to mention their name, but right. yeah, there, but, there's, but some, there's some good people out there. Come there on. is, but turnout's yeah. an important thing, and back to that just real quickly, you're right. right. Look, one of the examples that we use in our Institute for American Christian Citizenship uh, for pastors is the, the uh, city election turnout in 2011. So Anise Parker, the mayor, we had to battle epically twice, and there's a lot of other things we along the way we may have disagreed with, but mm-hmm. the point is she missed. She avoided a runoff election as the incumbent mayor of Houston in a in a nine percent turnout year by only six hundred votes. Think about that. There are a million registered voters in the city. Nine percent. And a nine percent turnout, and she avoided a runoff by candidates who, frankly, nobody can hardly remember who even ran uh, by six hundred votes. So turnout is everything. If you don't show up then probably not good things are going to happen. But the result is then uh, why don't people show up? What's the why? What's the reason we don't participate in preserving our own freedom? That's what we have to really get at. Yes. Well, I feel like it's a combination of things. I feel like it is a choice because everybody has that choice. But then another thing is there's distractions out there. But what you're trying to do is counteract that to a certain degree. 
So I feel like those are the, 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 the two combinations of things that are going on right now in society. Do you agree with that, Dave? It, it is. Look, yeah. we all, at the end of the day, let's be truthful, we all do what's important to us. Right. We, we do. I mean, yeah. from the minute we get up in the morning, now we may think what's important to us. You know, we may set our priorities. We make our checklist and all that. But at the end of the day, we choose to do what's the highest priority for us generally. So when, we, when we're not participating, that means it's just not that important to us. The question is why. And there's a lot of excuses we hear. Well, you know, look, elections don't matter. My vote doesn't matter. They're all corrupt. I mean, or I just don't care. Um, there's a lot of different elements to that. But when we boil it down to what this is really about, it's pretty clear that it should be important to everybody. Agreed. We just have to find the ways to make that uh, evidence so that more people vote in every election without having to be begged and threatened to. Yes, yeah. I think, yeah, being as you said, being apathetic about that and saying, yeah, it doesn't ma matter or it doesn't count. That's so not true. Because as you said, these some of these elections are won by just a few hundred votes. Or I've seen some elections that were won by like single-digit votes. Oh, actually. absolutely. No question so about when, it. When people say, hey, my vote doesn't matter, actually, no. We're going to turn that around. <laughs> Every vote actually does yeah. count. No, uh, we're exactly a bit right. we're a bit more immersed in these elections and, and on, in the political scene, so we see it. But... To the audience out there that is not aware of that, it, this is totally true. And we are not making yeah. this up. Well, think for a minute, Jimmy, as we talked earlier. Um, look, I, I was in business for many years. Uh, so a biz, businessman turned into spiritual leader, pastor? Well, I started out in law enforcement and in the business oh, and then I didn't in know the full-time Well, thanks ministry, for your service. So. I didn't know you are in law enforcement. Well, okay. it's just, again, it's God's path. But, but oh, so well, I've well, seen this from all different angles. But, for example, but just think for a minute, everybody. You know, when you, from the time you get up in the morning and mm -hmm. put your feet on the floor until you go to bed at night, what part of your life is not touched by government? I mean, everybody needs to really think through that. And, and you can't think of anything really anymore. Our regulatory process of our government uh, touches improperly or properly, essentially, in everything that we do every day. So the question is, why would you not participate in making sure that your government is doing that to the best and most efficiently it possibly can. Now, government is inefficient by its nature, but it doesn't have to be corrupt. Okay, and so when it's taking away your rights and your freedom, uh, and and benefiting things that are clearly evil and, and destructive, then that's not a good thing. So why would you not care about that? But we have to put it sometimes in our personal perspective. Now, right now, it's more personal than it's ever been. We're living in a moment, as you said, in the last two years where government's encroachment of use of power or abuse of power, I would say, is greater than it's been in our history. Right. Speaking about, Dave, speaking about, since we're on that subject of abuse of power, how, how did you, what's your opinion and how did you feel when a lot of the politicians shut down the churches when, when COVID happened? Well, that, that doesn't happen in our country. In like, I actually checked. It doesn't happen in almost 100 years. Well, it's... We clearly believe that it was a violation and abuse of the Constitution uh, limitations put on government, and, and not just the First Amendment, but, but clearly, you know, the, the First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The problem is that too many of our politicians today think in terms of freedom of worship, and you see this term all the time, freedom of worship, or places of worship. That's not freedom of religion. Uh, freedom of religion says that that your religious faith and belief is is higher than the government. Okay, the government's role is to protect your right to practice your faith. Now, if my faith 
that encroaches upon basic civil rights or human rights of others, such as murder or other laws that we that clearly are in violation of, of that limitation, then that's where your rights stop. But the fact is that for government to say that the churches have to shut down because people might get sick uh, clearly was way beyond the pale. So, and the courts have now agreed with that, by the way. Now, fortunately, oh, I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, which we've now, yeah, even in California, which was one of the worst in the country, and that they're still fighting much of this. I think they're still shut. The churches have, no, the churches have been out, have been they have opened the courts okay. there. So, but it's still an ongoing battle because, you know, when, look, in the terms of, of, of somebody who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the Word of God, you're really, you're really not, okay? Um, if you're not practicing the principles that the document says in the word framework, then you're rejecting the essence of that faith. If you're saying I'm an American, but I don't, I'm not going to follow the Constitution. If you're going to take an oath to protect and to preserve and defend the Constitution as an elected official, and you don't, you don't care about that Constitution. It's no longer relevant anymore. Then we have a problem, and that's where we really are. We're in a post-constitutional country, where many of our courts, the liberal uh, courts of activist courts. Uh, really don't look at the Constitution anymore. They look at previous court precedents. And that's where some of that's improved. Thankfully, under, uh, under Donald Trump, in my view, appointed uh, a lot more conservative judges that look at the Constitution and say our job is to interpret that and apply that, not to make laws. And we're in that battle right now, even this week again, for this vaccine mandate that just went to before the Supreme Court yesterday. Are they trying to do that nationally? Well, of course, for government. Bi yes. Well, Biden's order was okay. to issue a, a youth using OSHA, the Occupational Safe and Safety and Health Administration, to force corporations, businesses to force vaccines on all, the people. All of them, or certain the, sizes. Well, above above a hundred, but let's just, let's, well, let's be clear. <laughs> let's make it perfectly clear. That's only because that's right now the most they can get away with. Okay. Uh, but let's just even even leave it there. We're saying. The challenge before the court right now is, is that constitutional? Is that within the framework of this document to say that this president has that authority? And I don't think any reasonable person would say yes. And I'll say that. I don't care what, what the court comes out with. But no, no rational interpretation of the Constitution in its original format would say that one man has the authority to tell you and I we have to have a vaccine that, frankly, might hurt us as, as, as part of his you know, actual authority. So that's the courts wrestling through all this, but too, too often the original document, which was the, the cage, if you will, the, the Constitution was placed there to limit the government, not the people. And as we've amended that, we've, we've altered that, which is proper, but, but more and more we just don't pay attention to it at all. That's our, our big problem. Yes. So we're, we're on the same page. Here we support medical freedom. Yes. Not imposing these things on people. I think that's, yeah, it's terrible when any government entity is trying to do that against somebody's will. And especially in the case of uh, employment, because if, then if you don't agree, they're going to fire you. And that's, that's equally not as fair. And then in regards to how they shut down the churches, when that happened, we won't forget. Dave, we will remember. Well, we're thankful we live in a state, or at least we were able to get the governor to, because he was follow, right that, following the direction of the, of the Trump administration overall, and, and their mandates, and then we realized very quickly we reached out to the governor, others did, and the attorney general to to very quickly adjust that and, and move the churches into essential services. And and we worked with the, the attorney, our ministry worked with the attorney general to create the guidelines for churches. But the reality is that 
there's there's a basic historic principle here of jurisdiction, and yes. and the government should not reach outside its jurisdiction any, any more than the city council should try to uh, govern. This is one of the original court cases before the Supreme Court, uh, Marbury versus Madison. But there's one called McCullough versus Maryland. There's, you've probably heard this term: the power to tax is the power to destroy. Sounds right. Well, <laughs> well, that that actually came out of this court case in the early 1800s when a, when a county was trying to tax the state, and the Supreme Court said, "No, you're you're underneath the state." You, yeah, it doesn't you, make any sense. The the ability to tax assumes the authority over what you're taxing. Right. And what the, and the assertion was that the church itself preexisted the state, preexisted the government, preexisted the nation. And the, that jurisdiction is not there to govern and rule over and tax the church. So, so that's part of the framework of this that too many of our churches have been ignorant on. But this has actually been, I think, a good thing because it's waking up some churches and a lot of pastors out there who are finally realizing what happens when we let our government get out of control. Yeah, yeah I hope that, well, especially the religious institutions, but I hope people in general have awakened. I hope that they've kept their eyes open and been seeing what everybody's been doing, especially from the bureaucracy or other institutions, to see how they've been handling this and seeing what's right, seeing what's wrong, and then critically evaluate kind of what's going on so that they make their own smart individual choices. Absolutely. Whether it's living their life or voting. So I, I really like how you frame that, Dave. Well, look at it. Look at all the decisions. What's happened this last year? We were, we were on a burgeoning economy uh, for the, for right the last before COVID. four years. Well, and then COVID hit, and that was a negative. Uh, but 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 then we added to that. What happened even then? The economy was really fairly stable. But when you start stepping in and, and making th- policies, for example, oh, shutting down businesses, shutting, that's shutting what you're down to. Well, even shutting down our energy uh, uh, production. And for finally, we had reached a point of independence in our energy. Well, when you start, when you take away that independence, make us dependent upon our enemies, literally, uh, for our our energy production and our manufacturing then you create a dependency upon this nation. Is that good for the people? No. See, all those things we have to weigh as, a, as individuals and as people and say, what, what governing policies, are they, are they a positive or a negative in their impact on our lives? Uh, I mean, first of all, we should be saying, are they constitutional or not? But they always have a fruit. This is what, when one of the things that the Scripture says. You cannot get good fruit from a bad tree or bad fruit from a good tree. So you always have to look at the fruit. And if it's bad fruit, then it must be coming from a bad tree. So what's the bad tree? And that's our, our responsibility as a people, is to know that I'm choosing leaders that, that operate within a framework of respecting what's basically right and wrong. And I'll tell you, I, one of the things we've said for a long time, and our, even our issue with, with Houston was, I happen to believe if you can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl, you probably shouldn't be in public office. This isn't that complicated. Why it shouldn't are, be that complicated. Right. right. Yeah. So there's some basic fundamental things, or, and I personally believe in our faith, believes that strictly too, that if we believe it should be legal to kill an unborn child up and through birth, then I don't believe that person should be fit for office either because you don't respect a basic pur- purpose of government. And if a government does not protect the lives of its innocent citizens, then what else does it matter after that point? So there's some arguments that we have to reassert on their basic principles based on who we elect and who we choose and make that matter and quit looking at party first, our skin color first, our geographic, the similarities we have with somebody. I have somebody who looks just like me. Now, I'd feel sorry for him if he did, but 
But the point is, that be okay. That doesn't matter. <laughs> that shouldn't matter to me. Okay, I want to know what you believe, who you are, what you're going to do, and if you're doing it on the right principles, God bless you. I'm for you. you know, you're looking past the surface. All right, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, well, that's very important. Well, it's also a scriptural principle because God says it says that God didn't look on the outward; God looked on the heart. Right. And so you had Saul, King Saul, who the people loved because he was tall, good looking. He was kind of the perfect candidate, if you will, and didn't work out so well. Here's David, who was smaller in stature, who was just a shepherd boy, uh, who had his own mistakes that he made, but became a, a good king. God looks on the heart. That's that's his standard. He said, what's in here? What what do you believe? What kind of a, Who's your character? One of our uh, former presidents, uh, James Garfield, who actually was an ordained minister. Of the U.S. Pastor Council? No, back uh, president of the United States. James, oh, oops. Yeah, James, yeah. James, that was a little bit before my time, but I've heard yeah. the name. <laughs> back in the 1800s. James Garfield, he was a congressman before that, and he said during his time in Congress, if Congress is reckless, ignorant, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate recklessness, ignorance, and corruption. Sounds right. Yeah, yeah. It's that simple. We're living in it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Where sometimes uh, – there's even been instances where I see people put just put their name on the ballot. They don't even campaign, and then they win. I've seen it out in the smaller counties. Is it's that like, called county judge? I think that's our county <laughs> right now, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, as you said, it's, it's totally on point. It's funny because uh, all the scripture today, Dave, it feels like I'm sitting in Sunday school in church. <laughs> it's Monday. Well, you know what's interesting is you'll go back to our founding fathers, who, of course, they like to, we like to demonize these days. Because they weren't the founding fathers, right? They're really smart. Well, but you look at our, what's happening in our schools today. And by the way, it's a whole other conversation. We no longer have public schools. For a century, we've had government schools. Education was not run by the government uh, from from the history of Western civilization through uh, the mid eighteen late eighteen hundreds. Education in this country in our founding era was not government. It was community based, parent based education. And through our early history, but when we turned, we put education under the reign of government, it became a government institution. So we would agree that education was the most important, critical things to the, the posterity of our future. Absolutely. Why would we want that to be run by the least inefficient or the least efficient institution called government that's filled with those who have rejected the core principles of our founding era? It's time for a reformation in education. That's a whole other issue here we have to, de- have to deal with today. I, actually, I agree with that. And it's, yeah. n- it's not about the school boards. That's a part of it. But, uh, but we've got to look at everything like this from our standpoint of our citizenship and say, what, what do we do to teach the principles? Because, see, the, the enemy of our beliefs in, our, our, in this country, those who believe in big government statist positions and all this, they know they had to take over the schools. They've all written about it. You go back to uh, Hitler, Stalin, uh, even go back to Thomas, uh, or excuse me, John Dewey, who was a secular humanist uh, himself. He said, we need to take the children, and we can reshape the children, and that's the next generation. Abraham Lincoln said it. He who controls the classroom in one generation controls the government in the next. We have to start taking those things a lot more seriously if we want to preserve our freedom and pass on to our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, what was given to us. And we're, and I'm, I, I grieve because I look at, on my, in my lifetime, uh, in the 60s that I gr- was born into and grew up in this country from what we had then versus what we have now. But, you know, it'll always, it, it's like, you know, the, the, the old saying you've heard, it's not how big it's, the dog is in the fight, it's how big of the fight is in the dog. Yeah, right? I agree. 
Well, those that are most dedicated and passionate to their cause and are looking generationally are going to win the battle. And unfortunately, tragically, those who have been trying to reinvent this country and turn it into a socialist state have been more committed to their cause generationally in weaving itself through all these institutions than the God-fearing, hard-working people uh, who believe in the historical principles and truths of this country. That's got to change. And I believe it is starting to, but we have to decide what are we willing to do? What are we willing to pay? Am I willing to lay down my life for this cause? And what that means is quit living for myself every day. Start sacrificing my time, my resources, get off the golf course, get out of the country club. Uh, there are things you're going to have to give up. We were, we're, and, and I've shared with you earlier, uh, we're a military family. I have family members and nearest I can track all the way back to the founding era that have fought in every war since our beginning. Thanks to all of them, by the way. Well, in our, and our Korean War veterans as well. I'm Korean-American, so I'm my, here because they fought. My father-in-law was, was at the Chosen Reservoir. That's that, that uh, one of the epic battles of the Marine Corps. My two sons, uh, oldest and youngest sons, uh, are, are Marines. My oldest son fought two tours in Iraq combat. My youngest son is active duty. Very nice. Which, of course, there are tens of thousands of millions of families that have done this and sacrificed many, much more. But the point is, we're willing to let them go fight and possibly die for our freedom. If we're not willing to get off our blessed assurance and sacrifice daily and get out and vote and take a stand, get involved in your local government that keep it limited and preserve our freedom here. We don't deserve to do that. So that's our call to our people, especially in our churches these days. That's our, my priority is uh, God, this is what God requires of you. And someday, if you stand before him and he says, you know what, on your watch, with the freedom and authority I gave you, that 65 million babies were, were slaughtered. The, my design of marriage and family was destroyed. Uh, people's lives were taken. Freedom was lost. Crime escalated out of control because you weren't responsible with what I gave you. I don't want to have that conversation. And our charge to the churches, especially today, as pastors, you're on the front lines of this. You're the generals. If the army's they need not, to be. If the army's not going the right direction, it's because the, the, the general isn't leading them there. That's our first charge on the faith-based side. Business, business owners, look, it's time to step up to the plate. You're benefiting from a free country, a free market. Uh, if we're going to keep it and preserve it, you better step up and participate more, too. Everybody has a role. Yeah, right. I, I totally agree with that. And I try to leave from the front as well, Dave. Because remember, as I said, we were at a political event just a few weeks ago. I remember seeing you. <laughs> no, I appreciate you. Yeah, and I try to, I try to set, uh, lead from the front rather than just sit behind the couch and talk. Because, as I said, I, I see a lot of people complaining and whining about what's going on, but I don't see activity or action from those people. So I ask, okay, did you vote? Most of the time, the answer is no. Okay, did you get involved in a campaign or go meet a campaign or go meet a candidate? Uh, no. Okay, well, shut up. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Well, they, they don't have the right to, to do that. Exactly. And there's one more thing I want to express specifically to maybe some of this audience. The, those that have come from here from other countries um, are, I believe, have a higher responsibility and duty to help us preserve this than maybe even some of those that were born here. It's too easy to take for granted what you've already been given and you already know. But when you've paid a price, such as leaving your home and traveling to another, changing to another part of the world, starting over and doing this, because you've seen the fruits of tyranny, you've seen the fruits of corrupt government, you've seen the fruits of socialism, communism, uh, 
to not do anything here to stop that is is beyond irresponsible. And there's a specific voice, and, and I'll say for especially for our Asian community, or I'd say this to our pastors especially, who have family members even now that are suffering under this from other parts of the country. We need that voice. We need that role here now from the country, people who have come from any part of the world. Right. Uh, and and all other religions too, right? You do outreach to other religions. We don't religions. want to leave that out. I'm calling uh, Muslim, the, Jewish, even absolutely. Catholics. Yeah, people that them. are American citizens yeah. or want to be American citizens. Right. You're here benefiting from this heritage that we've been given of freedom and blessing and prosperity and opportunity that didn't come by nothing. It didn't come by accident. We've got to fight to preserve those principles and everybody of every faith and every ethnic background, every every part of the world that's here now, this role, has got a part of this. Yes, there's no, totally. There's yeah. no sidelines. It just isn't. Yeah. Everybody it's not has just a role. Christians. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's, everybody needs to get involved. And I'm glad that one of your tenants is doing that outreach with other groups as well, whether it's uh, skin color or, or religious affiliation or even political parties. Absolutely. Well, and we are nonpartisan. You know, so we're, our role for us is not what the party platforms say to start with. It's to say, what does the Word of God say? Yeah. And so that principle. That unites us across those lines. Now, if you're affiliating yourself with a political party, then you'd better defend to me, if you're going to be part of our team especially, uh, how it conforms with those principles of our faith and our Word. Um, because if you're doing that and it's violating those principles, then we have to have a conversation. So everything else for us has to flow from our, the principles of our faith. Uh, and everybody should base that as their standard, uh, whatever it is. should say, are you carrying this out in conformance with what you believe in your heart of hearts to be right and wrong? And is this are those people that are claiming to represent you, that, uh, and there's a lot of them that do that, by the way. They run because they claim to represent the group that they, they serve, whether it's ethnic or, or, or geographical or whatever, it doesn't matter. Are they carrying out the principles that I believe are the most important, that are right or wrong, that this this culture and this government must live by? And don't tell me what you – I don't want to just say. I want to see what you do. And it's our responsibility as citizens to – every election is a test, and not just of the politicians. It's a, election of the, a test of the people. Are we paying attention, and are we holding them to a standard that we know to be true? And if they violate that standard, then we have to be willing to replace them. That's what elections are for. And we do have one coming up. We have the primary election coming up very quickly right now. Oh, yeah, it's in a few weeks. Early voting starts on February 14th. That is correct, yeah. Uh, the election's on March 2nd. Now, that's a very important election process. And then, of course, we've got municipal elections this spring, uh, general election this fall. So it's a busy year, and everybody's got to step up and, and do their part. Agreed. Yeah, so make, to the audience, make sure you get out there. Make sure you go vote. Or if you can even go meet a candidate, go attend a rally, do that too. But the bare minimum, vote. And I hope you do more than that. That's what we're supporting here. That's what we've been talking about. That's right. Let's, Dave, yeah, this, this interview went by really fast, but let's talk about the current state of spirituality, religion in, in the United States right now and your opinions about that and things in regards to like a virtual church, what's been implemented over the last two years, which I'm not a big fan of because I just believe – Things generally, I just get a lot more interaction and, and benefit and a, a genuine presence when I'm there versus on Zoom. I, just, I don't feel the same thing, Dave. Yeah. Well, look, again, in our, our directive uh, from the Bible uh, says that we're not to forsake the gathering together. Uh, and gathering together doesn't mean, of course, they didn't have the technology then. 
but it didn't mean you know staying behind different different walks different walls and yelling at each other. Gathering together means together in in person, and I think everybody would agree with that in large part. The power of building relationship, the power of uh, knowing one another uh, personally, which gives us the ability to serve one another, to be able to know when those needs are coming, that we're able to, to respond to each other in ways that are the reason for the gathering in the body, from our, especially from the Christian viewpoint. Right. And that's and you're so, speaking about the in-person. Right. right. So, yeah. so while I'm glad the technology such as Zoom uh, or, or YouTube or other streaming means, Facebook, are accessible to churches for people who literally can't come to church, um, the reality is that it shouldn't replace, by far, uh, the, the gathering of together. So there's a lot of those things with technology that are a real blessing, but they can also, and as we will know from our, young, our kids especially right now, it can either be a tool or it can be a trap. Agreed. And, and those are the things that, that are a real struggle with a lot of the churches now because, look, we're, we're a distracted society. You know, uh, a generation ago, uh, we didn't have that problem. I mean, when I, when I came through high school and into college and, we didn't have computers. You didn't have internet, yeah. That's was how old I am. There had. was a world without internet, Dave? I I mean I just I just aged myself, you know, didn't I? You did. like, you know, it's all good, Dave. We I grew up, we actually had one telephone in the house. It had a wire connected to the oh wall. Oh my goodness. And and for, for Was it the spinning the spinning spinner yeah, thing? Our, yeah. ki- our kids looked at it, what do you do with this? How does this work, right? Yeah. You know, so I mean in those span of short years really yeah, things change so fast. So here we are. Yeah. Um, so that's a challenge to churches too, because when we're when, the, when we're into our electronic devices or and social media, those all can be you know tools and things. But look, let's face it, uh, the Pew Religion research that they do constantly, which is one of the credible religious studies of our country, uh, says shows that we are we are the least religious people that we've ever been as a, as a whole. Now, part of that's we're the most diverse that we've ever been as well. Uh, we have people coming in from other nations, uh, which may or may not be religious. There are different religious faiths. So diversity is good until it leads to a point where we, we no longer have any common values, common beliefs, and then sometimes no belief at all. And the truth of the matter is, if, if we reject the premise that there is a creator God who made himself personally involved in not only the creation, but in our lives and gave us his principles of his word to live by, and that limits us and, and for our own blessing and our own protection, and we live that way, and we base our life choices and including our citizenship on those principles, and it's a free-for-all, and we've got a whole array of different beliefs and value systems uh, that don't bear out into the, how we live and govern, then we have chaos. And that's part of the challenge we all have to look at in terms of our, even, the, even our faith and where we've come from. I grew up with very little faith. I mean, I grew up in a culture where it, my dad was a logger. I would not go to church, uh, and so it was a choice for a whole history of alcoholism and divorce and adultery, and that was kind of my culture I grew up in. Well, my question was: if if everybody lived that way, how would our country look? Uh, if and, and the challenge I've had, for example, some other faith leaders we've talked to over the years, um, when some issues have come up, I said, look. What are the fruits of of your religion and your faith in your country, and why are you here? Okay, what's different in this country in terms of the freedom of religion for all, for example, which doesn't exist in most of the rest of the world? Uh, why is the freedom to respect all people of all faiths and religions here in this country? It, it, now, again, those had those had its moments. We well know the warts and wrinkles, whether it be slavery, whether it be racial discrimination. 
The point is, though, that as a general and throughout our history has evolved the basic lines of that respect for all. That, that flows from a belief system that God created all men equal. God created all men in his likeness. And that's what, our, what the Bible says. And those who believe the Bible and practice it have to believe that. And that means that, that people from, again, we, there's no such thing as forced conversion in Christianity. It doesn't exist because it has to be a choice of that person's soul and spirit say, I'm receiving the gift of, of that God and salvation has extended to me, but in, and I can't force you to do that, and I shouldn't force you to do that. That, that also provides political freedoms and others that, that we live with and are blessed by. So, you know, every person has to come to that point of deciding what I believe to be true. And, and the first major questions of life are, where do we come from, why are we here, and where are we going? And, and those, as we work through those and resolve those, it, through the, the churches, the synagogues, the parishes, uh, and even the mosques, um, that's our, our, our challenge is when we respect each other as human beings, respect each other's beliefs and give the latitude for each person to choose that for themselves uh we can live in a a great country yes yeah that sounds really good dave now there's a mental health crisis in this country right now especially with with the adolescents is there any solution Mm -hmm. for that maybe in regards to going being spiritually you know fulfilled and healthy because i'm looking for solutions for this too dave because i'm concerned about the children in our country right now and uh, and i see spikes in depression anxiety suicide rates no question and it concerns me and you know you're absolutely right jimmy look it's a great concern suicide rates have skyrocketed amongst our young people we see this the depression rates the 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 institutional rates for mental health look and here's what happens when we lose hope uh and and when and frankly this is one of the great crimes and i'm going to call it a crime by lena hidalgo and joe biden and those who are governing by fear when you govern by fear, you lead by fear, you project fear as a way to control the people. This is what the results are, and, and much in our culture. The media is complicit in this, but here's the thing. We all have to decide what we begin, what we choose to believe to be true, and the hope we have. And that's why we can transcend all that. And the truth is that my life is in the, is in the hands of my God. Uh, I don't live, in fact, his word says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And hope. Well, and those, and and the reality is that when we when we take that belief, we transcend this time and say, look, I know that there's a God who cares about me, who knows me personally, and my life is in His hands. And so, if I'm doing His work His way, then all this fear I don't have to live by. Uh, I don't have to be worried about what's happening tomorrow. If I get sick or don't get sick, we have to care for myself. I mean, the Word says that our body is a temple. Of the, of the Holy Spirit, that means I'm supposed to care for it. Now, right. That doesn't mean I'm supposed to be stupid. But at the same time, that means I can do everything right and die tomorrow. Okay, Life is not guaranteed for anybody for the next day. But the question is, where does my hope lie? So that in this life, as I go through struggles, is there, am I by myself? Is there something more important and greater that's, that's with me? And I believe that when we know and truly believe that we have a personal loving God who's right there with us, every single day and everything we go through, then nothing drags me down to that point. We all have highs and lows. Everybody's that, been there. But that depression right. and that, that, that was, that's steeping our culture right now is because we're not, we're not seeing that, that ultimate hope. A lot of it, again, I believe is on the shoulders of our current leadership who are perpetuating this for their own gain. And someday 
And I hope in the next election we'll start this process to hold them accountable by removing them from those posts. All right, as we close here, Dave, what is your best advice for anybody that wants to be a spiritual leader or already is that wants to be more successful? So any tip, your, your biggest tip to be successful as a spiritual leader? Well, in a simple phrase, let's say follow the call. Uh, there are those who are in pulpits who were just looking for a job, but quite candidly. Okay. Um, there are those who are, in, who are doing this out of fear, uh, sometimes because they don't want to lose that job. Uh, there's a lot of different elements to it. But I, you know, at the end of the day, every single one of us, there's an, the pastoring particularly is, a, is an office. Um, and there's many, there's many different callings. There's many different offices in the church even. Uh, if you're called to do this by, by God saying you know in your heart and, with, and confirmation that you're called to be a spiritual leader, a pastor especially leading a church, that's a level of responsibility that you have to be, first of all, have to be right yourself. Now, there are many great pastors that have better, better uh, perspective, and, I, and a lot of them are part of our team that I would turn to and say, uh, Steve Riggle, for example, who started a church out of his garage in Clear Lake 30-plus years ago. That's an interesting uh, place. Grew, grew that into a, tr- a church of fifteen, sixteen thousand 16,000 down here. And you do uh, outreach with Joel Osteen and, and Ed Young as well? Well, some of them are part of our team. Uh, Second Baptist is part of our team as well. So we have some great pastors that are great successes. But you know what? I have a past, pastors of 50 that I would call a great success also. God doesn't give everybody that same gifting and, and, uh, and ability right. to man. It's like what going back to what uh, Jethro told Moses. He said, take those men that are able, love God, fear God, love the truth, hate the son, and place them over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens. He actually broke that down. Yeah. Because there are some people that are wonderful at 10 who could never handle 500. So, again, follow the call. Do what, and God will direct your steps. And that's the wonderful thing we know is that when, if you're pursuing a role of, of, of professional ministry, especially, I would say, vocational ministry, uh, whether it's a youth minister or a music minister or a senior pastor or a missionary, whatever the role that might be, is when you take a step forward in faith, that and that does require that action of saying, okay, God, I don't know where it's going from here, but you're calling me there. Follow the call. Take the steps necessary. Prepare yourself. God opens the doors. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in places you could have never imagined. I mean, I started out in life thinking I was going to be in law enforcement all my life in the little corner of Washington State. And... Then, then you ended up here with me. All of a sudden, here I am in Houston, <laughs> Texas. On the Jimmy Kim show. <laughs> 40 years later. So, all right, Dave. so that's the good news, is that right. we have a God who loves us, who knows us, who cares about us. And if we all turn to him first, the rest of it falls into place. All right. Thank you so much for Dave. Let's wrap up with a quick uh, prayer for everybody in the world and everybody here. And then we'll, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Lord, we thank you, for your again, for your love and grace. Lord, we have a troubled world around us. It's easy to see. As we look around our own personal lives, our, our communities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our government, uh, every institution, Lord, is, is shaky right now in this, in this world and in this country. But we thank you that you have given us the eternal principles to live by that transcend all the troubled times. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be anxious. The word says that we're not to be anxious, but in all things to bring our needs before you. But we also know that that means that, Lord, we have to have a relationship with you, uh, that when we are living for ourselves and living in rebellion, uh, that, Lord, you, you are separated from us because of our own sin and our own brokenness. 
but you made the way through Jesus Christ, Lord, to be united with you once again, and not just in eternity, but in fellowship now, and all of your promises and who you are and all that you can bring to bear as the God of the universe is at our disposal. And we pray right now for all those hearing, Lord, the, the hearts that are touched and, and to be drawn to you, Lord, that we can live beyond ourselves for something greater. And Lord, we especially pray for this nation that is in desperate need of a restoration of love for you, following your ways and your principles, a restoration of freedom. And Lord, we just pray for right now for, for that to take place, for a revival, renewal in our nation of freedom, of love for the things that, have, that created this place that you've given us to live in, a love for people above all things, and a love for you. So we just give you thanks and ask this again in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. To the audience out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, next week, we're on vacation. It's MLK Day, but we're going to see you the week after that, Monday, 12 to 1 p.m. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye. And Pastor Dave Welch, thanks for coming here thanks, as well. Thanks, Jimmy. All right.